Well, hello to the, those of you that I know, and, um, and welcome to those of you that I have not met before, but it's been fun visiting with you this morning, and, and this, having this time to share with you a little bit of the journey that I've been on with reconciliation. And, um, and, a, and a call to all of us is really what I'm going to say throughout this morning is it's a call to all of us because the cross unifies and brings together. And so all these dividing walls begin to fall as we see people come towards the light and not run away from it. Um, I, I want to somehow base loosely the comments I'm going to make about what I'm doing in Luton on Colossians 1, 3 through 14. And I'm not going to, because of time, because I have a lot I want to say about what we're doing, I don't want to read through it, but I want to give you a few high points because Paul in Colossians is talking to a population, a small Christian community that's forming in Colossae, which was down the trade route from Ephesians, from Ephesus, excuse me. And the Ephesians lived in a big cosmopolitan city but also that Colossae lived at a crossroads of many different cultures, many different things, including Roman soldiers. So they too would have felt like they lived a bit in an occupied area. And so the church is built in these kind of unsettled times. And one of the things I was thinking as Scott was flashing up notices is that Christ at the Checkpoint Conference, I love the fact that they've got the wall that divides where the church is right there. And I think that is the picture we often miss it in America because we live in such different areas and it doesn't feel like there's dividing lines. But if we start asking people about where are they, we'll find that many, many people would say, well, yeah, there are dividing points in our towns. Even though there's no big walls that are there, there are things that divide us. So in that, he encouraged them that their faith in Jesus Christ was so evident and it was showing up in their love for God's people, like Scott was saying earlier, and it had given them hope. So that faith, that love, that hope was showing up in fruit. And there was a fruitfulness that was being seen. And he hadn't seen it firsthand. He had heard of it. And so Paul wrote them, encouraging them, be sure you continue in that. That the truth you're learning, the grace you have to live out, is showing up in that fruit. And as a disciple, keep praying for the perseverance the strength of will to do what God calls you to do, listen to him, honor and please God, and then your life will produce every kind of fruit. And be filled with joy in doing it. Be strengthened by his love. Because you used to be a citizen of darkness, and now you are a citizen of the light. And if I could just summarize everything I'm going to tell you from what we have been doing this year in making this move into Luton, it's in that passage that moving into a town where it often is referred to in the press as the worst place in England to live. And you just think, who took this poll? Because it's definitely not the worst place I have ever lived. It is absolutely exuberantly alive with a diversity of cultures. Almost 200 languages are spoken in a town of about 200,000 people. Now, that's a little mind-boggling when I think of it as a school teacher and think, how in the world do they deal with all these language differences, and besides all the cultural differences? It's a community that has a vibrant church that tends to work across uh, denominational lines together for the betterment of the town. It has a, a Muslim, a Sikh, a Jewish, a Hindu, a Buddhist community, and probably, being England, it's probably got a Druid community somewhere in there as well. 
So it's quite diverse, and it has a council of faith that tends to bring those leaders together in which they discuss not a battering of whose faith is right, but how do we create a community that prospers together. Because I live in, have moved into an area where unemployment is quite high, and I'm going to tell you a little bit about the dream that was and the, and the, the lack of that hope today. So it's a community that has been known for the place where the July 2007 bombers got on the train to go into London. They weren't from Luton. Luton had nothing to do with them buying their tickets that day and going in, but somehow they gained the rap for it. It has a vibrant Muslim community, mainly Pakistani, Southeast Asian in uh, composition, but it also includes lots of Turkish Muslims that live not far from where I'm living. And so it's just very, very complex. You go to the mall, you will see so many different kinds of dress from all parts of the world. And you're just like, oh my goodness, how do you live and be the church in the midst of that kind of diversity and make a difference where people really are talking, really talking about how do our children go to school together, what are their job opportunities, what, what will life be like? So I want to tell you first a little of the hope that was. It has always been, uh, uh, it's been a town for a long time. It had a, a major church, so the church there was built in the 1100s, and it was a thriving community, fairly wealthy. The Queen's mother of England, uh, her family comes from the area that surrounds Luton. And so it was always quite prosperous. It's a famous originally for a place that you bought your hats, the hat industry, all the hats of the English ladies and gentlemen where it was a major center of hat production. And so there's big buildings in, in there as the first signs of industrialization. But gradually in this century, it became the center of the car industry for Vauxhall, which is one of their major car builders. That is no more. And in a town that is quite cosmopolitan, quite working class, the opportunities for jobs are minimal. And, and it's a big question in a lot of Western nations, not just here, but all over Europe. The questions you hear in Luton are quite the questions of the moment. How is society going to be built for people that don't have high-tech uh, opportunities or high university abilities but need jobs? What are we, what are we going to use them for? So those are kind of the complexities. In a lot of ways, I'd say it's a place looking for hope. Great place to build a community. So let me start with the slides and just kind of talk about this house. Um, last year when I was here, it's been about a, a year and three months since I was here, and I left saying, I'm going to Luton to look for a home. We're going to prayer walk to find the right neighborhood. Well, our prayer walking led us to a meeting in the Bishop of Bedford's office because every time we found the right house for 15 people, which is kind of what we're aiming at, it would be attached to an Anglican church. And so I had asked for one vicarage and been turned down. And so as if we found another vicarage, we thought, hmm. Well, my friend said, we will write on your behalf and tell him about who you are, and possibly a door will open. Well, a huge door opened. And we've been able to partner in something that's quite a new idea within the English church about, let's see what happens when you put a crazy group like YWAM up alongside of a local church, and they create a community there that's reaching out in the neighborhood. And the bishop 
in our area that's over kind of the lower bishops, his message this year has been go deeper in God, go deeper as a community of believers, and go further out into the local community to bring your hope. So that's what we are hoping this house is going to do. When I saw it, it was a pretty ugly place. And let me go through these pictures real quick. It had had 12 men living in it. The vicar of the church didn't need to live in this building. So Rob had a vision for maybe I could have a ministry team. So it's a four-bedroom, two-story house. And then if you switch gears, we'll just go through the next one, Steve. Um, Skip Nansett for a minute. I'll come back to him. Skip this, skip this, and we'll go through the house. It was old, had been built in the late 60s, and I don't think a lot had been done with this house. And the men that were living there were running a car business and car repair. And so there was oil on the carpets, which were pretty old. And this was a vicar's study originally. Uh, everything just run down. So as you looked at it, kind of walked along with a, I walked along thinking, I don't have buckets of money for renovations. And, um, and Nancy and I are, uh, and one other that was helping at that time, how are we going to get this job done? Because this is not really very livable, and it's ugly, and I don't really like ugly. But again, that word restoration came in there, and that bathroom was the only tub in the house. There were two toilets, but you're like, I don't think I even want to get in there. And so now it looks like if we keep going, we spent a lot of time over the last, we moved in in April, and Kachan, Nanzip, and others have helped us scrub. This gentleman, and we'll stay right here, is an Egyptian that works in England with another YWAM group in Luton. And he grew up the son of a painter who his father used to mix paints. And I had white paint, and he looked at me and he said, you can't paint this house just white. So he said, how about a nice sand color? So it was a wonderful gift from God to give me back a Middle Easterner to mix the paint, and it was exactly the color I'd been kind of dreaming about in my head. So he and the team came and taught us how to be professional painters, and we can keep going. So this is them mixing paint, and, um, and then we went to work. And so for about three months solid, we painted everything. Now this is Nanzip and the third member of our team, his, um, I think, perhaps a very special person in his life. Becky is from Harpenden, which is where we used to live. She's grown up in England. And they're just showing you the wall is very nice. But Nanzib is from northern Nigeria. I couldn't do without this young man. He's worked with me since 2010. And he's a symbol of the type of people we're looking to train. A lot of the people that have done the School of Reconciliation and Justice come from an area of conflict or economic deprivation. And you think, as they take these, this course and they learn about the church is, has a role in bringing communities together, which in most places we don't teach that. We don't teach that forgiveness is prerogative. We teach it, well, maybe that's an extra you can do. Maybe reconciling is an extra. It's like, no, that is the heart of the gospel. And so how do you bring back in his area a community where Muslims and Christians for a long time have lived side by side? And over the last 20 years, there has been war. And it's over economic pressure, really. It's an area of extreme poverty. And so there isn't enough for everybody. So it's easy to get sideways. So he wants that vision. And this, where we are located, we hope, will help those students get a further feel for how do you develop your community. 
So there's those lovely two. And when we first entered the house, this hallway had um, a really icky rug. But in the Vicarage study, it was this wood floor. And it, again, this was the original Vicarage. It was built in, I think it was early 60s. And the wood floor that is in the house, because we pulled up all the downstairs carpet, the whole thing was done in those wood tiles, which you, if you went to buy it today, we could not afford it. Even if I had a lot of money, it would be exorbitant. And, um, and so we have the most incredible floors, the foundation of what that house was made on. The beauty that it was made to, you can now see in the house. So this is what it looks like at the present moment. Everything's been repainted, fresh, ready for a lot of ministry to go on through this house. This is a gift the, the Dawsons gave us, a second bathroom downstairs. They gave me a little drawing that were like, well, we'll kind of fix this, kind of fix that. And I thought, I don't know if that's going to be very good, but okay. And in the end, it's like the, the prettiest room in the whole house is this super-duper bathroom. And for most English homes, this looks typical for Americans. This is really unusual to have a bathroom that has that much space. So everyone opens that door and goes, wow, where'd you get that? <laughs> so this is the office study room. It's just great. But we have plenty of room for 15 people sharing life together on short-term basis. And where we can get away, we can have small groups in the house, discussion groups. We can run all sorts of things out of this home. And really the home is to be the heart of what we're doing alongside that church. Now the church itself, we're going to keep going. This is kitchen, happy people. And this, this was a view out of my upstairs, my bedroom. When we first moved in, the, the blossoms were first on the tree. And this is a big old uh, cherry tree, wild cherry tree. The, the yard was like the house, an absolute tip. The, the overgrowth of vegetation everywhere, weeds, deluxe. Everything has a sharp claw on it. But that kind of, again, it was a picture of beauty that God's going to give back what was meant to be. So then we can keep going. This is kind of the backyard. Clipping. And now we were ready by the springtime, by the summer really, to have a garden party. And we were able to host the bishop who came to kind of dedicate what we're, I'm going to talk about with our food project. But we had um, a blueberry crumble in the backyard, which was perfect for a vicarage because they would have held in the past a lot of garden parties. And this is a little church next door. And again, the first time I met Rob and we went to visit this, I thought, hmm, not your typical beautiful English church in a village. Rob has two parishes. One is the village beautiful church, a very traditional congregation, also diminishing, and then this church. And this was built as a real high point of Farley life because at that time it was an up and growing community. Most people were employed with the car industry. They had fabulous jobs. And so to live up here on the hill, the older folks in this church, that's what they remember, where they raised their children and it was a place that really was thriving. And so... Today, we, this is a picture of school children that live in the neighborhood who come to visit and learn a little bit about what the church is about. And that's just part of their education in the UK. Then this is a typical morning. Most of the congregation is over 60. And, um, 
Now the largest group, after being there a few months, and we'll keep going, this is Rob O'Neill, who is the vicar. And he had just been there just a couple months when we met him. These ladies are both part of the congregation, absolutely full of life and wanting the church to grow. They really didn't want the church to get closed. So they were like, we will do anything, including having crazy people come live amongst us, to just help the church revive. So being a partner with the church means that we get to do both the community development side, which we are famous for in YWAM, but also help Rob as a ministry team that can be there, do the yard work, uh, get the church open, welcome people. We're half the congregation at this point. And meet the neighborhood kids on an ongoing basis. And so this was the first week of school. And right at that corner at the back of the picture, there's a Catholic elementary school, which has a huge population going to it. And then down that street further is a huge, what's called an academy. And it's anywhere from the sixth grade to the 12th grade. It looks like a gigantic factory. And so all those kids, at one point in the day, either going to school or coming home, come past our neighborhood. And so we were standing up there just welcoming people back to school. And for two days, we tried to do things that would just get people's attention. So on this day, they were stopping, and you could write your dream or draw your dream or write a word about what do you want to be. And that's what the, the little guys are doing there. And then we put it in the church in the sanctuary for people to pray this year for those dreams. And you found out a lot. I mean, often the kids would be like, there's nothing good happening here. So I don't have any dreams. I hear a lot of that. Because for the younger generation, it's a poor neighborhood with absolutely no job prospects. 41% of the children in the neighborhood are on subsidized meals, which means in school holidays, there, are, there is no food at home. And 41% in an English context, in a country that is, has a lot of benefits for people, is outrageous. But it's typical across Europe what's happening right now in the shifting economies. So we've, we've done something now that we're going to continue to try to work into that, that statistic. This is face painting with one of the kids that we knew. But we just had a good time talking to kids. And also talking like these two young men. James just moved to the academy and his major fear was about bullying, you know? And, and these guys tend to hang around our house just about every day. And um, Eamon was the first young man I met and he introduced me to the rest of the gang. So, and now they're all in this Sunday club that we have, our Sunday school. And there's about, uh, last Sunday I was there, we had 19 children, which was the largest congregation part of the church, and, uh, and full of life. Some of them come from a Muslim background. Some of them think they're Christians. Um, all of them just having fun hanging out together in an environment which it's safe and loving and people are kind, is what they would say, and keep it going. Part of the living on the hill is, overall, Luton is about, I think it's 47% white and 53% percent other, and the other can be from all over the world. Up on the hill, it still is a majority of white English people with a diversification of many neighborhoods, Turkish being one of them, which I lived in Turkey, so to live close enough to some Turkish people, most of the mothers don't speak English, so I'm thinking, who do I know that can come and teach English as a second language is one of the ministries we could develop through the church. 
but there's also all the different foods that cultures bring. And, but that diversity and poverty also means there's tension because people feel displaced. And like all the headlines where there's us against them and these people are here, going to take our jobs, take our money, whatever, and a lot of fear of those different kinds of cultures. So that's exactly where we want to be, is somewhere where we can make a difference in that story. So back to the yard work. Over in the church, there was a lot of yard work. It, too, was run down. And for the neighborhood, we learned that the church, although they don't go to it, they have been to a baptism there. Or they've been to a wedding there in the past. But what they were most upset about when you were standing talking is it's not supposed to look like this. It's supposed to bring hope to our neighborhood. And I've never thought of a building as having that much importance. I love beautiful old churches. But in this context, because most English people, white English people, would consider that their nation is built on Christian values, it always represents Christ in that kind of nationhood way, then it should take care, you should take care of this place. They were outraged that there were 12 Pakistani men living in the vicarage. Well, how did they let that happen? You're like, you care a lot for people that don't go to church. And so and this makes me feel like, how do we tap into that? Because obviously, there's something in these folks living around us that they want something that's not there. So we're hoping to be a bit like the early Christians that were never really seen because they were an underground church, but they were gossiped about a lot. So we're hoping we're sending off a lot of gossipy information. Um, this is what the back of the church looked like in April 2013. It is a third of an acre, and it was covered in blackberry brambles. And that was crazy. So that has been turned into the Farley Food Project. And over the next, it'll take three years for us fully to get where we want to go. But we're in conjunction with two other kind of community development projects that we will start a public garden where we have vegetables growing. And two of the other things on the hill is shorter life expectancy and nutritional problems. So the hope is, is that we can teach people that if you grow your own vegetables, then you can have a healthier lifestyle. These homes were all built after World War II. And I don't know if most of us know, but England almost went completely under with the cost of rebuilding after the war. And they built these homes to be able to be, as the government said, food sufficient. So they have a big backyard, but most people have forgotten how to do gardening. So we'll start one, and then we hope we develop a team that could also take stuff to people's backyards and say, we'd help you get started as well. Part of that will be gathering together young people that want to learn these skills, and that gives them job skills that give them some hope. So each of the projects is meant to restore hope. So this is just us working that project. There was a group of businessmen in Luton that invested in type of programs that are building community. And so we really want to see this neighborhood begin to reintegrate with one another instead of be divided into little pockets of fear. So that's the kind of key is what can we do that builds unity? And that's what they look like today. And there are little, little vegetables growing here. We grew, before I left, we had harvested some radishes. I was really proud. We got two crops of radishes going. The slugs ate some of the others. The other thing that we're doing right at this moment, we started off with, was an evening of music. We thought, what talents do we have? 
And so out of that, we came up with, well, we can do a music evening. Not me. I can get up and read a poem or tell a funny story. But we, we kind of centered it around some good musicians and then an open mic. So bring your talents. So it's a bit of a cafe. So you just come, and we'll sell you tea and coffee. And Steve, you can keep flashing through those. And Nancy's got a, a great many friends, and even the kids have gotten up to perform, as well as some of the oldest members of the church have gotten up to share their talents. So it's been quite fun to watch what is going to happen, and we hope this just keeps kind of building, because we want an artistic edge to what we do. And this is my gang. <laughs> this is my little tribe that runs around, and... Um, Right when I left, one of the mothers told me that, and the girls usually come inside, they want to color or sit or cook, whatever you want to do, they'll do together. If, when it was warmer, we used to do a lot of the gardening together. But all those kids now are coming into the church, and if anything we want to do, they're there to help with, which you just see the desire to be around goodness. And that's what one of the mothers said. Is, you don't, may not know it, but since you arrived and the kids met you, we've actually let our children come back out on that piece of street because there's more than just us watching them. And then a few of their friends have joined in because they feel safe that people are watching. And I just say, one of my friends, we're talking a little bit about our community as an expression of being friars because friars in the Middle Ages weren't in closeted communities. They were monastic in the city, and they went out and they kept watch over the city, and they worked in the city with the poor and the destitute or anything that came along their way. That's pretty much what this feels like, is wherever you walk, if you take the time, you may hear someone's story or stop because you see a problem. And it's more of a walking culture in a lot of ways than we are. So that in our neighborhood, and, and to be able to work in like, Okay, how can we meet the needs of those kids that don't have food during the holidays? Well, we just did a project with free lunches, and we're going to do it at Christmas as well, and it was just easy. We baked potatoes, and that's one of the famous English meals is beans on potatoes. <laughs> but the next one was the next day was pasta baked. That was great. Um, but also then we don't want to forget the wider Luton community, which does have a political edge to it, and it's a bit of a friction between... Uh, an extremist Muslim group that really wasn't born in Luton, but also the English Defense League was born in my neighborhood. So we were directed to live in the neighborhood where the people up there kind of are buying into a, a message that's very similar to the message in Europe in the 1920s and 30s that spawned Nazis and a lot of persecution. And there's a concern about it all over Europe. So this picture is we're all being... Um, basically friars, but we're part of the chaplaincy of the town. And you, you're part of this group to keep watch. And we were there at a, a march that the English Defense League, getting very drunk at the pub on the left, were then going to march down the street with the police gathered and us keeping kind of tabs and praying and talking to people. And they basically shouted and screamed and then came back and got more drunk. And, um, and all about, well, we want you out of our town. Little recognizing that nearly everybody they're yelling at are British citizens. They're not others. It's like we are now very cosmopolitan countries. So the chaplaincy both in the town and in the university in the center of town, Nanzip and I are involved in and wanting to walk through that process. 
So this teaching of Christian values is really through this whole thing, is like the overflow of what Jesus is doing in me, the overflow that he does in our relationships, how does that change community? So I think a couple years ago I showed you that picture because those signs got made in my bedroom in Harpenden. And, and, and then they made their way out. Whenever there's something that really is extremist being said, the Council of Faith, which represents the wider Christian and faith communities of all varieties, will get out and, and do a peace walk to say, you know, this is who we are. This is who Luton is. This, these voices on the fringes represent a very tiny amount of people. Now, peace walking doesn't do as much in the publicity eye as crazy behavior, but they're beginning to make their mark. Uh, this is what our town wants to be known for. How do we help people thrive together? That's where Jesus is. And I think that's going to take us to the end, just about. Okay, so working for good. So that's what I really wanted to bring to you all, is that, you know, it's just the, all the songs we sang this morning, I was thinking about, as we think about, Father, thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. That we're looking for how do we make lives around us begin to light up. And I'm preaching to the choir in this room, because this is a message you all listen to day in and day out. But I think I would just say in closing that, over this time of this year, transitioning from Harpenden, which is a wonderful place to live, living on like a university campus with that YWAM facility, in one of the wealthiest towns in the country. It's been marvelous. And, but God kept speaking to me, going, don't you want to come back to a neighborhood like you've lived in in Beirut and Istanbul and see something more of building the kingdom? And I thought, I really do. Because I started out in neighborhoods when I taught that were poor and disadvantaged and to see the influence in a classroom. So I feel like this advanced age, God has just been doing, okay, come back to your first love and let my kingdom flow. So as you all pray for us, there are more things, more problems you could worry about than I could throw sticks at. But it has been probably the most enjoyable, freeing journey I have made so far because it's just been watching God and going, okay, can I keep up with him? Because he's running fast to save this world. And so let's run fast with him. Amen.